What is up? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I am your host, Brett McGrath, Vice President of Marketing at The Juice. I am fired freaking up for today. How about that? Fired up. I'm back in the saddle, back from vacation. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in on these Friday episodes. The Monday episodes have been on the shelf. I've been away trying to get get out of the marketing mode for a little bit. Now I am back, so we will go back to regular scheduled programming next week so you can count on a monday episode next week but right now we are here i am bringing to you adam goyette he is a veteran b2b marketer been leading marketing at some amazing brands g2 help scout just to name a few advising startup businesses we are going to be talking about how to cut through the noise in b2b and become memorable he's got a lot of experience doing that i think you'll learn a thing or two if you like what i'm doing over here hit the follow subscribe all the things most importantly tell a damn marketing friend that you are enjoying modern day marketer without further ado let's kick into the conversation what is up everyone welcome back to modern day marketer excited for this topic today i think there's so much noise in b2b we talk about it a lot but i'm with someone who has spent a lot of time in his own career in B2B, thinking about ways to cut through the noise and now advising startups and other companies on how they can do it too. So we're going to explore that topic. I'm joined by Adam Goyette, who is a startup advisor who just launched his new site and new project. Um, You can find it at curtis.co. But without further ado, Adam, welcome to Modern Day Marketer. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good, Brad. How are you? I, we, you know, I'm staying inside with the AC turned up here in the Midwest. (laughs) Exactly. I think uh, heat index of 110 today here in Chicago. So yes, I feel you. (laughs) Yeah. We, I, every, it's just every summer, I feel like we as people in the Midwest, I'm in Indy, Adam's in Chicago. We know it's coming, but all of a sudden we, when it drops, we always make a big deal about it. And just the weather never seems to be perfect in our neck of the woods. And we like to tell people about it. Yes. My theory is you can complain about one, you can complain about winter being too cold or summer being too hot, but you can't do both. (laughs) Well, I I complain about winter. (laughs) Rightfully so based on where you're located. So I'm excited to talk about this topic with you. I think you have worked in some pretty cool places and environments and have a good mindset around how to stand out and differentiate and have kind of taken that to kind of your next stage of your career. And so maybe like before we get into the topic and get started, maybe we can just like let listeners know if they don't already know you, uh, just give a little bit of background on on your career and then maybe how that's led to your your current work that you're doing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I've been doing B2B kind of SaaS for over 10 years now uh, in different various roles in marketing, leading marketing teams and stuff like that. And most recently I was at Help Scout uh, leading the marketing team there. We scaled it up from about four folks to about 24. Uh, previous to that, I spent over two years at, at G2 and, and leading growth and demand gen there. Um, and so supported, you know, 120 person sales team. We built out the international presence and all that sort of fun stuff. So it's been a really fun ride. I think getting to work at these companies and really see them scale and helping be part of that, which leads me to kind of the last year I started consulting a little bit with some early stage startups who are really facing the same problem, which is, hey, we're trying to launch this product. You know, you look at the MarTech 10,000 or whatever it's up to now, and it's like, we're going up against these 10,000. How do we actually get anyone to pay attention to us? Like, what are the things we should be doing? 
where are the areas we should focus? Because it's also like in marketing, there's so many channels and tactics and things you could be doing. And, you know, everyone writes about, you should be doing content, you should be doing this, here's your page strategy, here's this. And so I think a lot of times founders are just sitting there like, I'm not sure where I should point my resources at, right? And so so that's why I spend a lot of time now is working with earlier stage startups, helping them figure that out and, and where to point some of their things and how to do things in a quick way uh, to get early learnings and then where to start betting and doubling down. And I think that's that's what I'm excited to chat about today. Yeah, and before we get completely off your background topic, I think what's interesting is being at G2 and um, being a part of the scaling and growth of that team and supporting sales and then being at Help Scout and growing a, a marketing team from four to 25 or whatever you said, like that is unique, I think. I think we all as marketers um, want to work for businesses that scale and help support that growth and then also you know grow and build really great teams. When you are have been in those two different environments uh, where you're scaling people and scaling companies, does does anything change? from your mindset and mentality when, when you're thinking about like, okay, we're bringing on these people. We're, we're trying to support sales team. We're trying to grow this thing. Does any, like anything inherently change in your mindset when it comes to like the actual tactics and the things that you're thinking about doing to stand out or, or does it remain the same, but it's just at maybe a broader scale? It does change a little bit. I would say uh, it starts to change in a negative way sometimes, right? Where you have four people. It's very easy to get four people aligned and rallied around an idea. It's much harder to get 24 people. Uh, and with that, there's 24 competing priorities, right, uh, of things people are working on. And so then it's it becomes this balancing act of you don't want to be the, the leader who's coming in and being like, big, shiny new idea. Let's chase that, right? Because as you start to scale up, it's not just people, but you have things that are working that are you have to maintain, right? There's like almost like a debt that comes along with that, right? Like you you need to, if you have 120 sales reps, everything can't just be creative, fun, like crazy ideas that we're testing. There needs to be a steady stream of inbound to support, you know, pipeline goals and actually revenue goals for that team to hit their number. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, at the end of a quarter, if I had to go in front of the board and be like, hey, we missed the number by, you know, 50%, but we ran all these fun campaigns where we feel excited about the growth. Like you have to have that consistency before you can kind of layer in some of the, the more fun or different tactics and things that, and then I've kind of viewed it as like two buckets, almost like it's your steady state. That's probably 80% when you're that far along where you have 24 people or you're in G2 size. And then the other 20%, though, it's super important you preserve that for experimentation, testing, all the different kinds of campaigns you want to run because you want to start pulling that over, right? And then move that, okay, this is working. How do we scale it and how do we get it over into like steady state part of our campaigns and things we're running? And so that's kind of how I view it. And at earlier stage, you don't have any of that 80% steady state, right? So you're trying everything you're trying to figure out. And so it's kind of like you're, you're building up like that steady baseline of, of things that are working for you. So much good info in that uh, soundbite there. I have to ask and dig in because this is I'm interested in this. And I think anyone out there who's uh, scaling and growing teams probably has the same question. But you mentioned the buy-in component, especially as the team grows. That's something I, I feel like we don't talk about enough is just like the internal comms and the internal activation around something new that you're doing to try to scale. And you mentioned like, yeah, it's really hard to get everybody on board. But like, 
what are ways and maybe just effective communication strategies? What, what have you found is like a good way to present something new to a group that large and get people on the same page as, as soon as possible? Yeah, I think so. Number one, before it comes down to even presenting, uh, to me, like the number one thing I see companies messed up in this step is in goals, right? So what is the North Star metric for marketing, your marketing team, right? It could, maybe it's, you know, hopefully it's further down the funnel and it's like revenue and stuff like that, but maybe it's, you're responsible for pipeline source because you have a longer sales cycle. So that's how you measure success every quarter. So you need to source $2 million of qualified pipeline for the sales team. Okay. How does that translate to what everyone is doing? Like, what are the goals for content? And it doesn't have to necessarily be like, you know, signups or anything like that, but it could be, Hey, we need brand awareness to be at this level. So how many branded searches are we getting? How many trials or demo requests are we actually getting from our free trial or our content, right? Well, how do we focus them on more bottom of the funnel type of content that's more likely to convert higher intent up? And so assigning those goals, then it's a lot easier to keep everyone on track and focused on the main thing that we're trying to impact because that's how they're being measured for success, right? And then, so if, if you don't have that, what you often have happen is like, oh, we measure our social media person on the number of followers they get, they probably won't be posting stuff that's very relevant or like more focused on bringing people through the journey because that's a very different goal. There's lots of ways to achieve that that could be way off track from what you're trying to do. So I think one is like aligning on the goals. And then I think setting those those goals on a quarterly basis, right? Of like, here are the big initiatives uh, we're focused in on this quarter that we want to move the needle on, uh, whether you do OKRs or whatever. But I think like a quarterly basis, and then, you know, we do monthly meetings as a team where everyone's giving readouts on everything we're doing. Then there's lots of like co-team Slack channel stuff like that. But really, I think the big thing is like, make sure the goals are all aligned. Oh, that's so good. And it's simple, but often forgotten about. All right. So let's talk about the topic and cutting through the noise you mentioned, which I actually just like, I I tweeted something this morning and I put the graphic in the tweet just to like remind people of how freaking noisy it is in MarTech. But you mentioned Scott Brinker's MarTech landscape. We've gotten to the point where if you're looking at the image, it's like we're little half dots represent every business and it you can't see anything and you have to zoom in, zoom in to actually see where brands fit because there's so many damn companies that are popping up, which is great, but it also presents a, very, a big challenge for marketers on like, well, how do we stand out amongst all, all this noise? So I guess at the top, like let's maybe define noise, like what, what's noise to you? And I think I'm curious to know, like, why do you think we all get wrapped up into this element where we're all kind of playing copycat and everyone's doing the same thing to try to stand out? Yeah. Uh, So what's noise? (laughs) Noise is all the stuff you see, right? On a daily basis. So think about this for a second. You're selling to a CMO. uh, You're trying to sell me at Help Scout and you sell whatever lead scoring. You're not just competing with the other lead scoring companies. You're competing with every other company trying to get in front of me, right? Which is recruiters trying to place people on my team, recruiters trying to get me to join another company, you know, anyone selling me marketing automation, anyone trying to get me to work with their outsourced lead gen list. Like there's there's things even beyond that 10,000 companies who are all targeting me, right? And so on a daily basis, I'm getting tons of LinkedIn. I want to, if I feel bad even calling it in-mail because it's mostly spam, right? Like it's just getting flooded. My inbox is getting crushed. You know, people call my phone randomly all kinds of times. And and that's just like in my day-to-day business life, right? 
on top of that, there's all the other stuff I see, right? On a daily basis of ads and stuff like that. So you're competing for someone's attention. And so when someone's on LinkedIn, you're not just competing with the other brands, you're competing with creators too, right? Who's who's creating content in an interesting way. And that's who I want to engage with. I don't care about engaging with a company's ebook or whatever it might be. And so there's lots of noise there. And so I think one of the things traps people fall into is they kind of look at what are other companies doing and how do we just replicate that? And it was kind of interesting. I did a presentation at, at Saster in, in Europe like two years ago now. And one of the exercises I did before was I went through all the ABM tools that are out there on the market today. Uh, and I just searched their creative on like mode and I put them all up on a screen together uh, as like one of my presentations. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference between any of them, right? <laughs> they were all exactly the same, except for one company. And that was metadata because mm. their image wasn't this blue thing about ABM, it was that crazy like Ben Franklin with like exploding head and like money sunglasses on, on this big orange background. And it stood out like a sore thumb, right? And so I think sometimes people think like, how do we out creative competition? Some of it is just as simple as like looking at what everyone else is doing and be like, if we just did something different, by default, we're going to stand out even from like color scheme and all these kinds of things, right? Like it's just going to cut through a lot of what people are used to seeing. And a lot of it is just pattern interruption, uh, like from an ad campaign perspective. But yeah, I think a lot of times it's a safer bet to say like, oh, we're creating content just like this company, uh, you know, and it's easier to sell that to a CEO to say like, oh, here's our content strategy. And it's very like standard 101. It's much harder to come and say like, we're not going to do any SEO driven content. This is going to be our content strategy. And it's going to be so different from what all these other companies are doing. And that's why we're going to do it. That's much scarier. Like you're, you're making a big bet. If that doesn't work out, it's probably not that great for you right? individually. And so I think people are, are risk adverse. And also, you know, I think CEOs are risk adverse. They, a lot of times, how, how many marketers can relate with a CEO sending them something and saying like, why aren't we doing this? Right? Like every marketing leader gets that probably on a weekly basis. And so uh, it kind of like builds in this thing that you should just be doing what everyone else is doing. I love the, uh, like the, just thinking about which it, I feel like we're, we don't do a good enough job of talking about this, this, this pattern interrupt, like we're in this like era of scrolling, 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 and everything looks the same and just like, what's going to stop you in your tracks and what's going to actually get you to consume what someone is posting. Like, I, I feel like just thinking about it from that lens um, is interesting. And I love you calling out the ABM and metadata example. I think like shout out metadata, like you stood out amongst all of the brands and you're getting mentioned on this podcast organically, which means you're probably doing something correct. And I love their marketing and know people over there, but you advise a lot of companies like why you mentioned being risk adverse. Like why, why do you think more brands and marketers don't like take the take the big swing like metadata is doing like what is it about is it just this cookie cutter approach that they're just trying to replicate what someone else is doing like i'm i'm curious like marketers are creative people like we have a lot of ideas we want to run a lot of experiments but like what's holding kind of marketers back from taking big swings do you think I think there's a couple of things. One, I think on earlier stage companies, what I see often is they're hiring marketing uh, like leaders or, you know, their first hire isn't a CMO uh, who's got a lot of experience doing it. It's usually an earlier stage marketer that's moving into their first director role, right? If you're a series A company kind of thing. And so in a lot of ways, that's like a scary position to be in. And we've all kind of been there. Where it's like, I don't want to screw this up. 
Right. And then, so I think what happens naturally is like, it's a hard balance and dynamic between a CEO who's probably pushing, like, why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing this? And they're trying to not, not like disrupt the apple cart. Right. And so not be like this crazy thing where, why the huge miss, I think that's part of it is just the dynamics of like the teams earlier stage companies. And then I think the other second dynamic is really like setting the boundary for what, what is allowable for failure. Because 20% of your budget, if that's what you're going to say, is going to experimentation, you have to have that conversation conversation with your CEO of like, we're not measuring this. Like, I, we're hopefully we're going to get results out of it, but here's the goal behind why we're doing this. Uh, you know, hopefully we can land a few like home runs here in these campaigns that we're doing, and then we can pull them over. But it needs to be a safe zone where we can just fail freely. Uh, because a lot of what you're talking about, like, there's been plenty of campaigns that have just fallen on their face when people have tried like random things. Right. And so, you know, we love to talk about like the great examples, but there's been plenty where it's like, Oh, we're going to do this thing that's so different and it just doesn't work. Uh, and that's okay. Right. And you have to have that environment where it's okay that we lost this money. It's okay that we tried this thing and didn't fail and didn't work out. And so I think it's, it's on the marketing leader as much as it is the CEO to kind of like create that environment, right? Because you have to push for that environment and get alignment in there uh, before you just start running experiments. Because if you just go and start doing the experimentation, you know, you're going to be sitting in a monthly meeting recap and being like, what happened to this $5,000? Like, what do we get out of that campaign? Because that's how we've trained them to think about all of our other campaigns. And then it's like, well, we got nothing. And it's like, what, what, what do we do? Like, and then it feels like you're getting beat up over this campaign versus if it's a safe space, it's like, here's what we learned. Uh, and here's what we're going to do next. And here's what we're going to try to bring in. But really you have to like set those boundaries for like where you're going to be playing and like what goes into like, we got to do this stuff. It makes total sense for us to do this stuff. Like, and then here's some other more experimental things. And I find most CEOs are excited about that 20% bucket more so than the 80% bucket. Right. And and, and I think that's where you create like a really good energy on the team uh, for like, they get excited about the 20%. And I think that's a big piece of like getting marketers excited to work on your team as well. No doubt about it. So you, I think we all want to separate ourselves from the pack. And what I hear from you is just like that typically takes some safe space and takes some experimentation, but in order to get there, like I was picking, trying to pick up on everything you're saying to me, it sounds like. If you are a marketer, most of the time we think about things externally, like what am I going to push out? Like, what am I going to write? What am I going to produce? But a lo- I think in a lot of cases, ex- especially when we're trying to create a safe space, we need to think about like the internal communication. Like, how do I get in the sa- on the same page with my CMO or other member stakeholders and other members of the team so they understand why I'm doing the things I'm doing, why I'm taking those big swings. So. What I hear from you, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like internal communication and the internal marketing component is a really big piece of this pie that might often get over uh, get overlooked. Yep, 100%. Yeah, definitely. That is a big part of it. And I think the other piece is, it's not just you as the marketing leader, but like your marketing team, how do you get them to feel like it's a safe space as well, right? Because we've all probably done like the typical marketing brainstorm, let's get in a room and like, what creative ideas? And like, you walk out, and it's kind of lackluster, right? <laughs> it's not like these are amazing ideas. And so part of it is don't do brainstorming on the spot. I think that's like a big thing. It's like people, most people don't, their brain doesn't operate that way. And what happens is like you have the most vocal person or two most vocal people that dominate that meeting. Uh, whereas the best idea might be sitting with the person who's a little bit quieter in the back, right? And so I think create an environment where brainstorming is happening all month. 
right? Like, uh, so we have an Asana board. We put all of our ideas in there. Uh, every month we have a meeting where if you put an idea in there, you have to pitch the idea. Uh, and part of that pitching is like, what is the idea? What's the crazy idea? But then like, how are you going to, what's the goal you're trying to impact? Right. And so back to those North star metrics, it's like, if you align on those, all these creative campaigns are all rolling up to that, right? Like, here's an idea that I have um, of how we can get more people, you know, to sign up and claim their profile on G2, which is one of our goals, like just getting people into the funnel. And so here's this crazy idea that we should do. And then you kind of do it, right? And so then I think you're pitching ideas and they're all relevant, right? Versus just being like a random idea. Because I think that's where sometimes those brainstorms is like, well, how does this connect to anything we're trying to do? But you give people the prepare time to prepare for that. And then you kind of have this environment where, you know, people are coming up with ideas throughout the month. Like you might see like that metadata ad and be like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we did something like this? Um, and then you do it that way. Uh, and there's also like brainstorming, like exercises you can do that we used to do at G2. Like one of my, our favorite ones is like making two lists. So like you have your list of your goals you're trying to impact. And then you have to, every person has to write down five random things. So like for you, like you just pick it, it could be like a, a vinyl record, right? Like a, a toy hammer, a coffee cup, whatever. And then you have to come up with a campaign that ties one of that object to whatever it might be uh, that you're trying to impact, right? And so for you, it could be like, oh, we're going to do, you know, a custom vinyl playlist uh, record that we're going to send out to our top 100 accounts that we want to run right and like uh and that's the campaign you end up running as a direct mail campaign right but it's like going through that exercise makes it a very creative like fun thing to figure out some of them are end up being like horrible ideas <laughs> but but i think it's it's you get that those juices flowing by doing exercises like that and getting people thinking like outside of the norm because everyone thinks like oh direct mail send a bottle of wine or chocolates or whatever it might be right but how do you do something that's just different this is, uh, if you're listening, I hope you have your notepad out and you're taking notes because uh, love this, love the idea of building a culture where people are, uh, where creativity uh, runs and people feel comfortable and confident. So there's so much you said there, and I'm already thinking about just uh, how I can implement some of that into what we're doing. I want to talk about specifics. I want to talk about examples. So I, last time we spoke, you had some creative ideas and things that you've done over the course of your career to stand out. So I'd love just so people like understand what are things that and ideas that can potentially separate you and get you into that first step. And that first step can be like someone responding, someone taking a meeting, you know, anything like I'd love for you to share some specific examples of things you've done throughout your career that have helped cut through the noise. Yeah. So I think one thing we've done uh, in the last year or so, it helps out uh, as an example, is we raised around uh, start last year. And what does everyone typically do when they raise around, right? They go on LinkedIn, they post about it, they get every employee to post about it. And it's kind of the thing. And, and most people, they send an email to their customers and prospects. And most people are like, cool, don't really care, right? Especially if I'm a prospect, getting an email to be like, we raised $50 million. I could care less, right? Like it doesn't impact anything about what I'm going to do. And so when we raise money, like I think one of the things is like, we didn't want to just go out and do that traditional approach. And so instead, I think we had a unique story where like our founder was reluctant to go raise money. We are a profitable company and we were seeing good growth and we really wanted to fuel that. And so instead we created a content series that was like fundraising for the reluctant founder. Um, because, you know, one of our buyer personas is the founder, right? Early stage SaaS companies that are looking for help desk software. 
you know, 60% of the time our accounts that sign up are actually the CEO founder of the company. And so we wanted to create content that would speak to them, right? Uh, problems they're trying to solve. And so that was like an example of something where we're going to take this typical thing, uh, like a fundraising announcement, and we're not going to do that. We're going to say like, let's do something different that's really unique that would get people's interest, right? And so from that, we had several hundred you know, founder, CEO sign up. And that was kind of a launching point for our founder focused content uh, that we then started creating with uh, a site we have called In The Works that helps scout, uh, which is all founder focused content that is geared around telling non-typical stories, right? Like everyone thinks founder content and what is all the content that's created around founders is like how to be the next unicorn, uh, how to do these things. And no, but the reality is like, that's, 2% of the, the CEO founders who even achieve that, but it's also probably even a smaller percentage of people actually like strive to do that. Man, many of them are being like, oh man, I just want to get to be a $10 million company or I want to bootstrap the company. And so we're, nobody's telling those stories of failure and all this sort of stuff. So we looked at it from a unique perspective, like here's what everyone else is doing. Here's how we can differentiate our content strategy to the buyers we actually have. Um, so that's like one example of like, I think it's start with a short-term bet of like, creating an email series around your fundraising from your CEO was not a crazy content bet. Uh, but when we saw lots of good traction, we realized there was something there and then we rolled it into a bigger content bet. At G2, uh, direct mail was a big piece of sort of some of the stuff we started running. There's like three examples that came out from like those brainstorming ideas that I shared. One is like we sent pinatas, pinatagrams to people where we basically wanted to get in front of, you know, different CMOs around why they should care about uh, their G2 profiles, right? Because like G2 has data on your company, whether you want them to or not, because people are going there and leaving reviews and all this sort of stuff. And so so we sent pinatas that showed up in someone's desk uh, and it was actually the pinata, it's not in a box. The postage is around the pinata and it just said on there, like beating this, beating your competition on G2 is way more fun than beating this cute pinata. And that was the message. <laughs> and so it was filled with candy and all that stuff. Uh, and we did it. It was like 14 bucks through pinatagram.com. And it was like 14 bucks. So it's like, let's send this out to a hundred, you know, accounts we want to get in front of with the sales team. And so then we had BDR follow-up and we retargeted them with like pinata ads. So it was like different. You're not used to seeing and like, who can ignore a pinata showing up at your desk, right? Like that's something that someone's going to come in and be like, you know, back when everyone was in offices, like, why the hell do you have a pinata? And so like those types of campaigns is like a simple twist on something where it's like direct mail. You know, most companies think like, oh, it's send them company swag. And it's like, nobody wants your company swag. And and so like, what are you going to send that's going to be memorable um, and stuff like that? And so we did a lot around direct mail. We sent books to people uh, where we earmarked the page and put in a little post-it notes of like, hey, we thought this this would be interesting and compelling to you. And so it makes it so much easier from the BDR outreach to go out and follow up with people because they're excited about it. It's different than like, oh, this person, you know, attended a webinar. They're not that excited about that, but it's like, hey, we're going to send these pinatas to people, these hundred accounts. Like they were all pumped to follow up with those accounts because uh, they were excited about the campaign. And so I think that is also another piece of it is like getting that internal buy-in from the sales team as well. Uh, and what you find is the amazing thing that starts happening is the sales team comes to you with ideas for like really creative things you should do next. And like all of those ideas, like none of them were actually mine. Right? Like I just take credit for them on podcasts. The reality is they're like from a BDR on our team or, you know, they were from our field marketer. It was like, oh, we should do this. And they're just like these crazy ideas. 
And like, and, and so I think that's where we could get these ideas and we'd say like, okay, how do we do a small version of this, right? Like 100 people or whatever it might be. Like we send pennies to people to go claim their profile uh, in like an envelope. And so like we sent $20, we went and got $20 of pennies and we literally put them in envelopes and sent them out. And it was like, you know, the buyer's journey has changed. 90% of people do research uh, on G2 before they ever visit your site. So you have two options, take this penny, and throw it in a wishing well and hope they you're part of that 10% or claim your profile in G2, right? Like those are like campaigns that are a little bit harder to measure, but like those are the kinds of things where like that's not a big investment. It's $20 to send out pennies to, you know, 2,000 people. That's my math right. No, not, but yeah, that so that's kind of like I think where how do you cut through the noise and do stuff that's if that works, then it's like, okay, how do we scale this into something where we can repeat it every single month, right? Um, or maybe we pull it into our ABM playbook, or we, now we need a platform like Sendoso to actually start doing this on a regular basis because like we're just manually doing it right now. And so I think that's where, you know, as you get those wins, it's important that you get out of experimentation mode and think like scale, like how big can we scale this and how do we move this into a repeatable process, right? Uh, because everything can't be an experimentation. And so as much as like, it's fun to talk about those ideas and campaigns, the reality is once they started working, they went in the 80% bucket and they were just part of our standard playbook that we ran every single month. So what I love about the the Help Scout and the G2 examples are that they're just remixes on things that currently happen all the time. So it's like taking a step back a little bit and thinking, okay, well, yeah, we do have founders that come into the funnel here. Let's let's use this to our advantage and start a new content series there. And it's, all right, let's just not send crappy direct mail that everyone's sending, but let's actually get something that's like a pinata that's going to stop people and be like, what the hell is this? Like, I'm looking into this. So I, I think- it's not trying to reinvent the wheel, but just like thinking of ways that we can re- remix things um, that we're currently doing to stand out. So love those examples. And maybe Adam, in closing, uh, I'd love for you to maybe, you you shared so much. You'd be like, there are probably like 25 bullets of like calls to action that people could have after listening to this episode in a short time. But like, maybe like, what is the one thing that if you're uh, marketers out there that are struggling to kind of like, stand out and are kind of stuck in the status quo? Like what is that one piece of advice that you'd give them to, to get going and, and start trying new things that um, might help them separate? I think the biggest thing I would do is get buy-in from your leadership. So whether it's your CMO or, you know, your CEO. And I think the easiest way to do that is like go on the moat, look at the ads people are running, look at your own ads, put it all side by side on like a slide, look at the content we're creating, put it all side by side and then show them, right? Because the reality is like, I think part of it, it's a way to win because you're probably, there's probably companies in your space that are way more funded. There's probably companies in your space who have a much bigger brand awareness, right? Um, Who have 50 content writers that are creating content and you have one content writer and you're expecting to compete on SEO. It's like, you can't keep up with that level. So it's like, how are we going to break through the noise? But you have to kind of lay the stage because I think a lot of times people don't even realize how proud it is if you're not in marketing already. So I think set the stage for everyone else and then say like, and here's how we're going to start 
trying to cut through the noise. And then you get their buy-in and then they're excited about it. They're like, oh, awesome. And then I think like include people in those brainstorms. We used to have a BDR sales rep sit in our brainstorms and come with ideas every single month to get a different perspective, different voice uh, of someone who's dealing with the customer on a daily basis. And so, you know, don't be afraid to include those kind of people early on the process, right? If you just go to your CEO and say like, Hey, I want to take out of our $50,000 budget. I want to take 10,000 of it and just experiment with it. They might be like, Whoa, whoa, whoa like why? <laughs> right. Cause like, uh, and so I think a part of it is that internal communication, internal kind of marketing piece that you really have to nail first. And then it makes it much easier down the road. So I would imagine in, in uh, your line of work that you are having these types of conversations with uh, startups all the time. Um, and you're probably going a lot deeper than we even covered here. I'm going to put the link to your site, curtis.co in the show notes, but maybe like in closing, what types of companies are typically coming to you that you're working with? So if anyone's out there who, who wants to learn more and think you might be able to help them, maybe give the profile of the types of companies you're working with. Yeah. So it's it's typically like B2B SaaS companies, early stage, so seed stage, seed, series A, where they're really trying to figure out their, their go-to-market motion and, and where they can compete and when. And so I help them a lot with hiring and strategies to build out the team, uh, where they should start making some of those initial investments, right? Marketing, as much as crazy as the MarTech 10,000 is, it's like, those also all represent different tactics and strategies you could do. So there's a million strategies as well. So like, it's as much about saying no to things as it is yes, right? Like you can't do everything. And so let's focus in on the areas we're gonna try to win early. And so that's where I spend a lot of time working with companies. Love it. So much insight. Adam, thank you for the time. Look forward to sharing this one out and good luck in your endeavor. And we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Brett. I enjoyed it. So much knowledge, insight, so many good opportunities to not be doing what your competitor is doing. And hopefully Adam brought you some of that insight on how to cut through, how to get innovative, some structure, some experimentation, some ideas. Really love what he is up to. If you like what we're doing, tell a friend, subscribe, follow, do all those things. But most importantly, have a great weekend. And we'll be back with more Modern Day Marketer next week. Peace.